Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Back in action. Triple Threat Theater. Episode 32. The skills to pay the bills. I'm Joe Axberger. I'm Ryan Miller. And action indeed. Indeed, friend. Millsy, quickly. Yes. I'm going to jump right into it. Please. What is your favorite Liam Neeson movie that is not Darkman? Go. <laughs> uh, tough call. Because um, clearly everyone's favorite Liam Neeson movie should be Darkman. Should be Darkman. But let's... Let's take that one off the table. Probably a toss-up between Darkman and Schindler's List, really. But oh, interesting. <laughs> um, I gotta Can be I... honest, man. Ooh, uh, ooh, I think it's taken. Interesting. Interesting. I would have would have been sure you were a K nineteen the Widowmaker guy, but <laughs> I have not seen dad. that since the theater. Maybe that's your dad. I'm sure that's up there on his list of favorite flicks. <laughs> well, you know, actually. Now that I think about it, I probably, well, I don't know. Here we go. I'll tell you that I rewatched, I hadn't seen Taken since the first time I saw it back in 2008. We're mm-hmm. not reviewing that for this episode, but it's thematically relevant, and it's kind of the movie that got the Liam Neeson action movie train rolling in the mm-hmm. first place. Indeed. So I decided to watch it this week, and I really enjoyed it all over again. Mm. But to be completely honest, A Walk Among the Tombstones might be my uh... favorite of like the, you know later in life old man action movie phase mm-hmm. of Liam Neeson's career. One of those two. That one is great. Which you turned me on to that. And I feel like nobody saw that, man. No one saw that. We could say that right now. People right now are listening like what movie is that? It's a so, great movie is what yeah. it is. Go watch it. That's the movie that introduced me to um uh what's his name? It plays Hopper on uh Stranger Things. Oh yes, of course. Uh David David Harbor. Yeah, David Harbor. Mm, it was in there somewhere, he's, Mills. He's creepy and evil in that movie, and I just remember watching it and being like, man, who was that guy? He's a fucking good bad guy, and then you started seeing him pop up and stuff all over the place. I actually love that, because that is one of those things where I don't... I remember liking that movie, but I don't remember much about it. It's one of those, mm-hmm. but I would like to rewatch it, so I even forget that he's in there. Yeah, it was two bad guys in the end, like working together, and like the other guy, don't remember him at all. But David Harbour's face has stuck in my head ever mm. since the first time I saw that movie. That is like always fun when you go back and see something older, and then you know the, that popular person is there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for me, I mean, I like that was the first thing I saw him in. I didn't come to Walk Among the Tombstones later. I saw it in the theater, so like mm. I saw it, and then when I saw him in stuff like Stranger Things, I was like, "Oh, it's that fucking crazy guy from <laughs> Walk Among the Tombstones." You're the one person that was like, "Oh man, I loved him in Walk Among the Tombstones." Yeah, because I'm the one person who saw that in the theater. <laughs> yeah, nice. I could. I think if I was looking at a list, I would have guessed. I could have guessed Walk Among the Tombstones for you. Yeah. Because I knew you did love that movie. I don't have a big connection to Liam Neeson before Taken, which was 2008. Mm. I mean, 
Schindler's List is a very good movie. Uh, Dark Man, obviously, I have a soft spot for. You know, he's Qui-Gon Jinn, but mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm not super attached to that film. And uh, I think he was in one of those horror remakes, like right around the year 2000. Was it House on Haunted Hill or The Haunting, one of those? Um, That's not jumping out to me, but... I'm pretty sure he's in one of them. It. But anyway, like... I... Prior to Taken, like, that's really all I can think of off the top of my head I've seen him in. I know for me... Oh, Batman, of course. Yeah, I mean, I know Darkman was certainly probably the first time first time I saw him, and that was when I was a kid, because I've loved Darkman forever. So, I'm not entirely sure I saw that in the theater, because I would have been like eight years old. But, uh, mm-hmm. very possible that it was, you know, soon after on the old VHS... Of some kind. Um, so what is your favorite non-Darkman Liam Neeson movie? My f- favorite non-Darkman. I think I like, might know what it is. I, I think you know. It's one of like actually like my favorite movies period. It's probably in my top. I wouldn't say it's in my top five. It could be a top tenner. Probably top 20. But I'll let you take a shot. Is it the gray? It is. I knew you liked the gray. Nilsy. That movie just gets me. <laughs> I love that movie. And I think he's fantastic in it. So he's like fits in that movie for me. He fits like between that and Taken, which are kind of around the same time. Taken's like 08. Um, uh, yeah. The 08-09 like and then the gray 2012. Yeah. I mean, he plays like perfectly like old badass for sure. He's got the voice, mm-hmm. you know, he's got the look. Big fan. Yeah, I love the gray. He's got the tiny alcohol bottles taped between his fingers. Anytime someone's going to fist fight a bunch of wolves, Millsy, you know, there's a good chance I'm going to like that anyways. (laughs) But that one certainly had the payoff. Mm -hmm. I still wish they didn't spoil that in the trailers, but... Yeah. I I feel like that built up unrealistic expectations since you never actually (laughs) see him fight a wolf with those. Yeah, I was was okay with it, but, you know, to each his own. (laughs) Just because I like the movie so much, you know, like I just get that one gets me in like the gets me like in the like emotional core mm-hmm. a little bit. So great movie. Great actor. That's what we're here to, tonight, Mills, is to celebrate the man. Yeah. Specifically, his current run of uh, post taken uh, action movies. Mm-hmm. Let, let's run it down. Unknown from 2011. Mm-hmm. Nonstop from 2014. Yes, sir. And Run All Night from 2015. Yes. Yes, indeed. Mm. And, uh, you know, when I I was the one who came up with this theme, it's a pretty easy one. I knew I wanted to do uh, non-Taken films Mm because I wanted to do, like, the films that only really happened because of Taken. And I wanted to do ones that were kind of all thematically similar. And I think back when I came up with this idea, The Commuter, hadn't come out yet otherwise that would have probably fit in a little better than unknown but um i went with these three and i left out the gray specifically because the gray feels to me more like a wilderness survival movie than a you know guy taking out terrorist kind of thing yeah totally no that was a good call on your part i don't i don't know the commuter so i can't say for sure where that factors in but i uh, believe the commuter is basically nonstop on a uh on a commuter train Oh, so like a, like a Under Siege 2, Dark Territory, you're telling me? 
Uh, it's it's more like an inner city elevated train kind of situation, but yeah, essentially. <laughs> it's okay. like it's like on the subway. It's like a thriller on the subway kind of. Wow. And he's like he's like I had such a good time on nonstop. I'm gonna go back and well, pick here's another the thing. mode of transportation. What I was gonna say is like I didn't know who directed all of these movies. I knew Pierre Morel had done Taken because I was like, you know, very into that movie back when it came out and like read up on it, but. I didn't realize when I picked these movies, all three of them are directed by the same guy. And Wait. he also directed The Commuter. So he Wait, and the, Liam The Neeson, movies we watched for this episode? Yeah. <laughs> uh, all of them, and I didn't know it at the time, are directed by a guy. I had to, I'm probably still oh. going to butcher it. I had to look up uh, online how to pronounce his name. Uh-huh. I believe it is Jaume Colette Serra. Wow. He, like, they really get along. Yeah. So he had directed uh, House of Wax, the remake with Paris Hilton. Ooh, ouch. Which, you say, have you seen that movie? Um, It's I actually a I, decent horror movie. I think I did, actually, but I don't remember a damn thing. And Paris Hilton bites it pretty early, so you don't have to put up with her for long. But there's some good stuff in that movie. Huh. Um, wait, and then wait, he directed write that the, down. <laughs> yeah, please, by all means, write it down. Let's do it. <laughs> all right. He also directed, did you ever see the film Orphan? Horror film? No. Also quite good. Had a really good twist that if it's spoiled for you, it might ruin the whole movie. But I didn't know when I watched it and it was very effective. And then uh, moves on to Liam Neeson action movies. That's just about all he's done for the last several years. And now all of a sudden he has been roped into, uh, he got sucked into the gravity well that is Dwayne Johnson. Oh, no. Because he's directing Jungle Cruise and then he's going to be directing Black Adam, which is pretty cool. Oh, well, that's good for him, whoever this guy yeah. is. Well, I can dig it. Well, look at that, Mills. I mean, there's connective tissue everywhere. Yeah, no kidding. Huh. But uh, in general, like, there have been, I want to say about 10 of these. Uh, actiony Liam Neeson movies since 2008, 2009. So in the last like 10, 12 years, how many of them can you recall that you have seen? Not many friend. I have not, I had not seen any of our tonight's movies. Really? Beforehand. I had seen them all. <laughs> I've seen widows. Okay. That sort of counts. Sort of counts. Um, didn't see, I'm looking down the list. I have not seen, Many movies for our boy here. Um, <laughs> Walk among the tombstones. I don't. I've only seen the original Taken. I never saw it in either of the sequels. It's it's by far the best one. Yeah, I figured. Um, I mean, he's throwing it down as Zeus and Wrath of Titans. I've seen that one. <laughs> I'm specifically thinking. Let me. I'll give you the rundown. You tell okay. me what you've seen. All right, hit it. Up before this episode, so don't include the ones you just watched. Okay. Uh, you got Taken. Seen it. Unknown. No. The Gray. Yes. Taken 2. No. Nonstop. No. Walk Among the Tombstones. Yes. Taken 3. No. Run All Night. No. The Commuter. No. And Cold Pursuit. No. <laughs> wow. See, the funny thing, I had seen all of them, and like I remember back when Taken first came out, because it had been out overseas like a year earlier because it was like a French co-production or something. And, you know, it was co-created by Luc Besson and 
uh, directed by Pierre Morel, who's a French director. And um, it took a while to come out here. And when it was released in the United States, it was a big hit. But when it was released in theaters, they had like edited the movie down a little bit for violence. Mm-hmm. And I had heard about the movie and was like, man, when is this ever going to come out in the U.S. for me to see? So I actually like... I think I downloaded a, a bootleg copy online and I watched it and it was like the the full unrated version. Oh. And uh it is in my opinion slightly superior to the to the American release, but uh huh. So I watched that and then I remember telling my dad like you have to watch this movie and so when it came out in the US, I think him and my mom might have gone to the theater to see it. And then not too long after Unknown came out and then after that one it became like a thing where every single time a middle of the road Liam Neeson action movie came mm-hmm. out, my dad and I always go to the theater mm-hmm. to see them. I like it. So Tra- the last eight movies on that list, my dad yeah. and I have seen in the theater together. <laughs> I like traditions, Milsey. So <laughs> add this to the list. That's just one of those things. It's like my dad likes them because they're like middle of the road action movies. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I don't always love them, but um, they're easy to watch. So. Right. Right. But, I mean, I'm very interested to hear what your points of view are going to be mm. since you don't have as much experience with him Ow. as me and you're watching all these for the first time. Do you want to dive into the first one? Please. All right. So from 2011, we have Unknown. Excuse me, madam. Your husband is here. Liz. Oh, Jesus. Oh, excuse me. Do I know you? What's wrong? I'm sorry. I was in an accident. I was in a coma. They didn't know who I was. You must have me confused with someone else. Liz. It's me. Martin. Your husband. This is a misunderstanding. I don't know this man. This is my husband. You are Dr. Martin Harris? Last time I looked. Yep, still me. What's going on here? Is this some kind of a joke? You know this man? No. Who the hell are you? Who the hell are you? Milzy. Yes. A man awakens from a coma, only to discover that someone has taken on his identity and that no one, not even his wife, believes him. With the help of a young woman, he sets out to prove who he is. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. So it had been a long time since I saw this movie because I saw it back when it came out in 2011. Mm-hmm. So I only remembered like the bare bones of it. So this was essentially like watching the movie all over again for the first time. So I was like caught up in the mystery of it. And like the concept seems so preposterous as you're watching it. Mm-hmm. It's just like, where could they possibly go with this? How does any of this make sense? Because the whole idea of like somebody having their identity taken or people fucking with someone like in David Fincher's The Game or something like that. Right. You know, uh, we've seen stuff like that before. But this guy, literally, you see him with his wife, who's played by uh, January, January Jones. Jones from Mad Men. You see them together at the very beginning. And like their husband and wife, they're getting along and they go to the hotel. And then he gets in a coma and four days later he wakes up and when he goes back it's like nobody recognizes him he he conveniently doesn't have his identification and turns out that this conference he's like a scientist this conference that he went to uh germany to speak at 
he like has talked to some of the other scientists there before via email and stuff, but never met them in person. So like conveniently, nobody knows what he looks like. And all of that is like, okay, fine. Like this is, I understand what they're doing here. But then when his wife doesn't recognize him Mm. and is like, I don't know who this man is. That's when I'm sitting there, even the second time, because like I said, I didn't really remember like, how does this work? Like, what is going to happen here? Like, how tied up in the mystery were you? And was it like too preposterous for you to be on board with or were you into it? I didn't find it too preposterous. Um, I didn't going in. I was like, didn't know what this movie was about. Once I started watching it, I remembered the trailer because what, basically what you your preamble was the trailer. It's it, mm-hmm. it sets up a lot of that. Of course, knowing this, I was like, all right, you know, this is an action movie. Just based on this is our episode and like uh, for what I could vaguely remember, I was like, okay, well, it's like an action movie, so it's not like a you know, just a thriller or something like some, something is going to get ramped up here at some point. But I wasn't, I wasn't like totally, I wasn't checked out at all because, you know, like you said, there's a car accident, which happens by chance, which, you know, it's like a, was it a oil drum or a toilet or something falls off a truck? It's like a refrigerator falls off the back of a truck. Right. So it's like that happens. Which, you know, steamrolls the whole thing, and then he ends up in the river and unconscious in a coma. So I'm like, okay, so, you know, that wasn't planned, clearly. Or I should say, watching, I was like, that wasn't planned, hopefully, because that would be extra ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, so things like, get kind of convenient on? in this movie. <laughs> yeah, totally. But, okay, so, I I like a good mystery. You know, I didn't know, I didn't, you know, I didn't read about beforehand, or anything, which I don't usually do with triple threat movies, so. You know, I'm certainly not going to spoil anything for myself doing that. So I'm watching, you know, I'm like having a good time. I like Liam Neeson. I mean, if it's not apparent, I mean, I do like him as an actor. So, you know, I'm with it trying to figure out like, you know, what what is in fact going on here? You know, I'm I'm like drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm like, OK, all right, I get it. I get it. At one point, there's a there's a point where things change and. I'm not the guy that like figures out the twist in movies. Yeah, it's, I feel like it, I am not either. It's very rare. It's very uh, there's always someone who's like, "Oh, you know, uh, I don't know." I know these people. There's people that have figured it. Yeah. I, I don't. When I'm like watching a movie, I'm just like I'm very much along for the ride. It's rare that I'll be steps ahead of certain things. I'm right there with you. Yeah. So in my you know, my internal dialogue watching this movie and it's when like uh sketchy guys show up at Diane Kruger's apartment to kill or to do whatever to Liam Neeson. Mhm. And then like quickly, you know, he tunes up a couple guys. <laughs> yeah. Secret agent style where I'm like I was like, uh, he's supposed to be a scientist. I was like, okay, <laughs> but uh, you know, maybe he can just fight. We don't know anything about this guy's history. That that like immediately leads into like like a halfway decent uh you know European car chase, which I'm always a fan of. Mm-hmm. And you know you've got scientist Liam Neeson is like banging gears, transporter style, <laughs> spin moves all over the place in this like stolen Mercedes wagon taxi. And I'm at that point I'm like okay. 
So I'm pretty sure he's like a secret agent or something. I mean, he's not. This guy isn't just a scientist. Some scientist. Yeah. I was like, you know, something is afoot here for sure. So I got that. And then maybe it's within minutes. He's have he has another flashback. And they show the wife and she's a brunette. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you caught that part. And at that yep. point, I'm like, all right, he's a secret agent. He lost his memory. I was like, this is born identity. I was like, how much of born identity has been ripped off here? <laughs> and at that point, I was kind of like, it was one of those times where I'm like, all right, is there, does everyone figure out at this point? Am I actually like figuring this out before? Like they've set to reveal it. And I guess kind of, but I don't know. You could probably help me out. There is another level to it. Yeah. Well, you tell me like where where are you at if you can remember either this viewing or the first one. I mean, I I didn't remember that he was any kind of agent or anything. I knew there was some kind of twist with his identity because mm-hmm. that is like the vaguest thing that I remembered from that original viewing. Okay. I remembered a I wasn't crazy about the movie the first time I saw it, and I, I think I had given it like three stars on Letterboxd mm-hmm. and. I remembered that, you know, it, the movie's unknown. It's like he loses his memory. I knew there was some kind of twist with his identity, but I didn't remember what. So, like, yeah, I didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but I don't know if I'm the best judge because I was anticipating something all along, even though I didn't remember exactly what it was, you know? Mm-hmm. I got you. But, like, so, like, when you start to see him kicking ass in fights, it's like my brain is saying, okay, well, I, I knew this much, but then... When he's in the when he has that meeting later on with um, Frank Langella and they're in the car together and it's revealed, oh, not only are you not just a scientist, but a secret agent, but you are a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing where I was like, oh, shit, I didn't remember that. <laughs> right. And that's like the second. Yeah. Twist. It's like you're actually. Yeah. Actually, even say he's actually an assassin. He's not even like secret agent here he's like he's here to kill but like you know in as much as he has like he's good at fighting and deception and driving mm-hmm. because he's trained to be yeah the bad guy equivalent of a secret agent right so i think that's is that the point in the movie where it's yeah that's frank langell is the one that lays it all out because mm-hmm. even then but he, he does run into the wife who still which you know she keeps up the facade of like oh they're gonna kill us both you just have to go along with it and I think even at that point, that might have been before they like show her like the quickest of glimpse with the the different colored hair, because um, mm-hmm. that was really why I was like, okay, they're secret agents. It just makes you wonder. Like, so long story short, um, they like when Liam Neeson's trying to solve the mystery of like what's going on here. There's like a a sheik from some Middle Eastern country. And he's there have been many attempts on his life, and he's going to be at this scientific like conference thing. Mm-hmm. And so you find out that there's like a bomb planted and this and that, and you're led to believe that they want to blow him up. But then it turns out, no, they actually want to blow up this other random scientist because right. they don't want his like his new discover scientific discovery to come out. It's super really corn, what it is, yeah, super corn. And building up to that part of the movie like that is all stuff that i had forgotten mm-hmm. and i'm just sitting there wondering like okay he was a bad guy in the first place and they needed him to get close to uh everybody else like the the people that they actually want to kill mm-hmm. and they've now replaced him with like his backup next up like 
pinch hitter like bad yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah. If he's now lost his memory and he's causing all this trouble, mm-hmm. why don't they just kill him? Why don't they ever just kill Liam Neeson? And this is a question that you can ask of a lot of action movies. Like, it's a classic James Bond thing. Like, why put him in some kind of elaborate trap when you could just shoot him in the head? Right. But really, if Liam Neeson has, like, lost his memory and is now, like, fucking up all their shit, why don't they just kill him? Right. Yeah, even and I mean, like, yeah, they, they have a couple attempts on his life, but they could just, like, snipe him when he's walking down the street yeah. or something. Like, even when, the, like, he shows up at the party and he's, like, way out of it. And he sees the wife for the first time, and he runs up on her, and then he see, she sees the husband. Like, if you're, you know, I don't know, if you're, like, a, a secret assassin group, wouldn't right there, you, the wife should just be like, uh, calm down, just uh, meet me upstairs in ten minutes. And I'd be like, okay, and then shoot him when you get upstairs. Yeah. Like, totally like you said. You know, it's like an elaborate setup to make him look like a junkie in the parking garage. You know, it's <laughs> right. like, just shoot him. I mean, it's going to be the same. I mean, yeah. He's got no identity. Like, you, you get zero backstory for this group. You don't know if they're part of a a bigger cabal or if it's just like Frank Langella's like, little crew. I mean, all you nothing. what you find out is that they're basically mercenary assassins for hire and mm-hmm. they just were asked to do this job by some other corporation or something. Right. Like, that's all you know, that's all you need to know. And I think part of the reason for that is if they had tried to establish this group earlier on in the movie, it would have been potentially too easy to figure out what was going on. Sure. Like, they want to give you as few pertinent details as possible. Oh, big time. To keep, to string the viewer along as, as long as possible. But even, like, once all all hands are revealed, they don't, like, really give you a lot. Mm-hmm. Because it's weird, because for me, like, this kind of movie or, like, these kind of things, it's like, you know, someone getting a coma and then waking up but like, not remembering stuff. Like, how much of his disposition has changed completely? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I can kind of get, like, the whole, I don't know who I am. Someone help me out here. I guess part of it, it's like they don't try to help him at all. They just go about trying to kill him at that point because he's a liability. Mm Mm-hmm. But... I don't know. At what point don't you just like just run away? You know, what's <laughs> yeah. he, what's he trying to stop here? You know, it's just it's it's all very convenient in that like he very. goes into a coma and when he wakes up, he doesn't remember like the previous 40, 50 years of his life. Yeah. And like growing up as a child and then becoming an assassin. For mm-hmm. some reason, the only things that he remembers are the fake details of his cover for this yeah. one mission. Right. Which. I'm will I'm perfectly willing to go with because I think it makes for an entertaining mystery thriller. But um it if you think about it too hard, it is That's the thing. just a bit the, much. <laughs> this type of stuff I tend to think too hard, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's then that's when the cracks show for me. And I wonder if that's not how I felt the first time I watched it. Because like I said, I did have memories of like, oh, if I had to before rewatching it, I would have said Unknown was one of my two or three least favorite Liam mm-hmm. Neeson action movies. Right. And I gotta be honest. I enjoyed it this time around mm-hmm. a fair a fair bit. Mm-hmm. It's not. Um, when he, it's I guess it's pretty action packed. It takes a while to like start ramping up when like people come to kill him mm-hmm. in car chases and stuff. Yeah, there's but... a lot of time in the beginning where like the first half of the movie doesn't really have much in the way of action because then they it's like they don't want to reveal to you yet that he actually is capable. Yeah, it's so all it's just all mass just... confusion at that point. Yeah. But then the second half, you know, they 
they come for him at her apartment and mm-hmm. they have that whole action scene with the chase scene attached to it. Yep. Uh is there is there any kind of action? Not not really a, a lot when he escapes from the hospital. But um no. Okay. He, be, he basically just leads the assassin with the glasses on a little bit of a chase, but right. And then yeah, the the action at the end. So again, not a ton of action, but there is there is some. Yeah, there's bits. There's like set pieces, like the the climactic action. It's weird because it's like it's like a big explosive set piece, but there's only like for him, there's kind of like the one one bit of fisticuffs. Yeah, with his replacement. Yeah. What happens to Frank Langella? I'm already forgetting. <laughs> when they uh, they take him to the parking garage oh, right, to shoot him right. up with drugs, Diane Kruger comes and rams the yeah. van that he's in off of like the top right. floor of the parking garage. Yeah, which is like he, one of those things because she's like hammering up these uh, like one of those twisty entrances to the fifth floor of the the parking garage, mm-hmm. and like the one guy's got Liam Neeson dead to rights, never even acknowledges that there's like a a car screaming towards him until the very <laughs> Yeah, end. you would hear the fucking squealing of those yeah. fucking tires on yeah. that uh, parking garage. Like, if you're pavement. about to murder someone, even if you don't know it's her or someone there for him, if you just hear that, you're going to be like, all right, I'm going to stop. Yeah. I'm not going to kill this guy right now because someone's coming. But no. It is funny. When I was looking up trivia for this movie, um, it turns out that Diane Kruger kills three people in the film and Liam Neeson only kills one. <laughs> oh, nice. Because <laughs> she has to keep coming to his rescue. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Oh, that was pretty funny. So, you know, this this just like feels like an action movie of 2011, you know? Mm-hmm. For all you can take from that, that's what this does feel like to me. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where I wonder, like, so this was, you know, Taken was like the one right before this, like two years before. And like I say, it was definitely a co-production with at least France. A lot of these movies with Liam Neeson, actually, I guess... I guess because of Taken, he's a little bit of an international action mm-hmm. star now and not just like an American action star. So this movie was actually a U.S., Germany, U.K., France co-production. Oh, boy. Uh, I mean, takes place in Germany. The majority of the actors and characters in the film are German. Even mm-hmm. Diane Kruger isn't playing a German, but she is German. Right, right. And a lot of his movies are these foreign co-productions and yeah uh it makes me wonder if it wasn't for taken who would have been the lead in this Ooh, like would it have even been an american film or because it's the uh so it's directed by a french director mm-hmm. it's takes place in germany mostly stars germans uh it's based on a french novel called out of my head and it's an english language film there's just a lot going on here yeah i mean I don't I don't want to go as far as to say this movie doesn't get made, but almost I feel like it doesn't get made without Liam Neeson. Like this is post taken yeah. like get this guy in more action movies now. I get the feeling if it wasn't for Taken and this movie still got made in 2011, it would be like a French language thriller that um yeah. I might have heard of but never seen cuz there's a couple movies out there like that, where it's like, I've heard, oh, there's this really good, like, French thriller movie about a guy chasing down drug dealers all night or something. And, like, I've always kind of wanted to see it. And it, like, used to be on Netflix or whatever. But I feel mm-hmm. like this would have been one of those movies. This I mean, maybe would have been a movie that would have been remade 
in the U.S. if it was popular enough in another country yeah. or something. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. That's kind of what it plays as to me. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's it's that kind of like action for the masses, you know, with a, someone popular. Mm-hmm. It was probably kind of cheap, though, because he's the only like A-list actor in it. Uh, would you call $40 million cheap? I would. Well, there you go. It was certainly. a cheap movie then. Because that's what the cheap. budget was. Yeah. I and mean, uh, after the success of Taken, which kind of had two releases because it came out overseas first and then it came out in the U.S. and did pretty well here as well. It was like um, huge. If you think about like the cultural impact of Taken was pretty huge mm-hmm. at the time. Well, I think it was just a thing where nobody expected that from Liam Neeson. That was like completely unlike anything else he had done in his career. Mm-hmm. And it's it's got really well-directed action, and yeah. it's just a simple, compelling story. Right. And as far as, like, meme material, oh, the totally. whole uh, special set of skills speech. Yeah, 100%. That, like, like, that's like a yeah. pre-meme before we were saying meme regularly. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So there's, like, a lot of stuff to that movie where even re-watching it now, it feels kind of cheap and like mid-range, but it does have all those good elements of like a great lead and a really compelling story and awesome action scenes. And mm-hmm. it's just one of those movies that feels like it was able to rise above the potential restrictions that it had. And yeah, it just, I mean, it has changed Liam Neeson's entire career to the yeah. point where I bet you there are people like 10 years younger than us who if you were to sit them down and show them Schindler's List they would have their minds blown like oh I thought he only did action movies or right. something. And it's like even I haven't seen Schindler's List or Dark Man in a long time but it's like it's crazy to think those movies are so much older than these ones cuz I would I would almost feel like you'd almost picture him older in those movies than these mm-hmm. current ones, you know what I mean? Well, the funny thing is, like, at the time when Taken came out, um, I don't know exactly how old Liam Neeson is, but that was kind of like the, oh, he's an old guy kicking ass. Mm-hmm. And because of the subsequent 10, 12 years of these movies, which I'm very familiar with, uh, when I rewatched Taken just the other day after watching the three movies for this, I was like, gosh, he looks young. <laughs> yeah, he would have been um, 56 when Taken so came like- out. He's almost 70 now. Yeah, he's born in 52. Man, because I, I feel like at one point, like I know, I know for a fact that I believe this to be true. <laughs> Back when he did uh, Phantom Menace, I remember hearing on like a, a morning talk or a morning radio show or something like drive time radio that he had announced he was going to like quit acting or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so when, you know, as the years went by, he was doing stuff like Batman. I remember thinking, like, well, whatever happened to that? And then partway, like, I think around the time Taken 3 came out, I remember hearing, like, well, this is Liam Neeson's final action film. Like, he's decided he's getting too old for it or whatever. But obviously he's had more come out since. He just had Cold Pursuit come out last year. And I was looking at his, like, in-production and upcoming on IMDb, and he's got, like, seven or eight upcoming yeah. films and at least two or three of them from what i could read are straight up action movies like these so like mm-hmm. it has given him like a whole new lease on his career and a whole new fan base which is yeah. fascinating these films and it, you know all back to dark man i'm like that excites me i'm, I'm glad he's still getting it, getting work out there you know <laughs> yeah. 
know, I love that movie. So I was like, but I've been, I guess I've been rooting for Liam Neeson my whole life. <laughs> Think about it. Man. Where's that? They're they're doing like late onset sequels to everything. Like, where's our new Dark oh, Man is an old guy, Liam yeah. Neeson starring vehicle? Yeah, it'd be like Dark Man Four, I think. Yeah, there are three of them. Mm-hmm. But uh, right, so yeah, Dark. We need to get Dark Man into something. So let me write that down too. <laughs> I'm sure, we can make that happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, how just in general, how did how did you feel about uh, Unknown? I Yay, enjoyed nay. it. Uh, you know, I'd give it a thumbs up instead of a thumbs down. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, and I mean to say like, now to say like, oh, I never figure movies out and I figure this one out, so it stinks, which isn't the case. But there's some there's some bits of it that just feel kind of formulaic a little. Oh, for sure. It's it very much following a formula. But over, overall, I did enjoy. Yeah, I can definitely say that uh, I enjoyed it more this time than I recall enjoying it the last time I watched it mm-hmm. a decade ago. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I watched these in order just because. And uh, so right off the bat, I was like, man, Unknown's the one I'm not really looking forward to. And when I enjoyed it, I was like, all right, let's do this. Yeah, I actually did the same thing. Watched these yeah. right in order. Nice. Uh, the one kind of factoid that I found about this one that I thought was kind of neat was um, the guy who plays the assassin with the glasses who's chasing him for a good portion of the movie. Mm-hmm. His name is Olivier Schneider, and he was the stunt coordinator for this movie and Taken, which I thought was neat. Oh, that's cool. So they must have seen, after like how much people went nuts for all the action and everything in Taken, mm-hmm. they must have been like, all right, we need to, uh, we need yeah. to get this guy on board for some more right. business. Get the band back together. Yeah. So. All right, all right. Uh, moving on to our second film, please. All right. Uh, three years later, in 2014, we got Nonstop. A passenger on board this flight has threatened to kill someone every 20 minutes, unless they're paid 150 million dollars. And now three people are dead. The bomb will explode in less than half an hour. And they want you to believe that I'm responsible. Everything you've heard about me is true. I've lost my family, my job. I'm an alcoholic. My daughter was diagnosed with acute leukemia at the age of five, and I spent my days at work instead of being at home, looking after her, because I was afraid of watching her die. I'm not a good father. I'm not a good man. I'm not hijacking this plane. I'm trying to save it. And I will save it. If you work with me. Milzy. Yes. An air marshal springs into action during a transatlantic flight. After receiving a series of text messages demanding $150 million into an offshore account, where someone will die every 20 minutes. Pretty compelling setup. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those things where, you know, everyone wants to call it like Die Hard on a Plane or whatever, and that's kind of what it is, but, you know, you always worry with these single location kind of films, like, how are you going to keep it interesting on an airplane mm-hmm. for X amount of time? And I think they do a pretty good job with this. I I was never bored. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's a very, they, like, way out there concept. Yeah, just, I mean, they they find plenty to do. But it's fair. This one certainly is like turn your brain off. 
because you end up like just second guessing everything mm-hmm. or, you know, even quickly. It's even just like, how did they get his phone number? You know, that's like yeah. something immediately, I think. And then I guess they do because, you know, in this movie, they it switches up a little and tries to make it out like he's the one that is uh, hijacking this plane. Yeah, it's like they're trying to frame it all on him. Right. So this, I like, you know, I like Liam Neeson. So I think he's pretty good in it. It's kind of not so much a star-studded cast, but there's plenty of, like, familiar faces. Yeah, a lot of recognizable faces you got. Yeah. Julianne Moore, Scoot McNary, who I feel like was in a billion things around this time. He was in, like, Mm -hmm. Argo, 12 Years a Slave, Gone Girl. I didn't recognize her, but apparently Michelle Dockery, who is the main flight attendant, is like the main character or one of the main characters on Downton Abbey. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wouldn't know that either. Yeah. Corey Stoll, who is the villain in the first Ant-Man movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o. I remember like this came out maybe in the same year as 12 Years a Slave, and she was in that. And then like right after this, she was cast as Maz Kanata in uh, Mm -hmm. Force Awakens. And mm-hmm. I just remember, I think this was the first thing I saw with her, but I was already hearing all this buzz of other stuff, and I'm like, who is this Lupita Nyong'o woman? Yeah. And then she's hardly in it, honestly. I mean, she's got two lines, maybe, yeah. tops. And then uh, at least one other person I, I recognize, you you don't see him until the very end, but the like TSA agent that uh, Liam Neeson is talking to on the phone throughout the whole movie is... Uh, oh, right. That guy actor, Shay Wiggum, who's been in a yeah. fucking billion things. I mean, I'm ready to say that's not even that guy's name because I don't think I've ever heard his name before. <laughs> well, I think it's because he's one of those that guy yeah. actors who you, you know his face, but you never bothered to look him up because it's like, oh, he's yeah. always just like random side character. Shay Wiggum. Yeah. Sounds like a made-up name. <laughs> for sure I'm yeah. actually blown away right now but I'll but just just for those curious he's in Tigerland Fast and the Furious 4 and 6 skipping number 5 mm-hmm. uh, Silver Linings Playbook The Wolf of Wall Street American Hustle Kong Skull Island he was in Joker he's, he's just been in, in a bunch of stuff yeah. certainly a that guy actor mm-hmm. huh so yeah there's like uh, certainly recognizable people mm-hmm. this is another one I remember when I saw it Thinking like, yeah, this is kind of like mediocre and mm-hmm. maybe a little, little tough to swallow because while just the meat and potatoes of like this happens, which causes this to happen and then that happens right. and he's able to figure that first thing out because of this hint he got from something else and like the very complicated web of things that happen is very intriguing and captivating. Uh, falls apart in three seconds if you stop to think of any of it. Like, right from the beginning, like you said, like, how did they get his phone number? Right. And then just a billion things had to go right for the bad guy's plan mm-hmm. to work. So, yeah, you do have to kind of shut off your brain, but it makes for an entertaining thriller if you're just, like, along for the ride. And maybe I wasn't the first time around, but I think I was just, like, in the mood for this kind of movie since we were doing, like, this trio for the podcast because I really enjoyed this one this time around, too. I had far much more eye-rolling going on for me. I had the trouble <laughs> shutting off my brain because yeah. it's just, you know. I like, think that I could see be how a result I... of seeing a movie like this for the first time and, like, you're trying to process everything. Right. It's just, you know, this, like you said, there's so much convoluted stuff going on there's so many steps to this elaborate plan 
you know, uh, lots of just logic goes out the window. It feels like, yeah, it's just tough because, you know, I even thinking back, it's like, you know, once you get to the end, you figure out who's who and what's what. And then you try to think, like, how do these, how was all this stuff pulled off? You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. maybe it's like a mood thing when it's like, I'm okay or not okay with this kind of stuff. But I just, it felt tedious as I was watching it. I'll be (laughs) honest. I wasn't necessarily, just because it was, it's almost like the gag of it kind of went on too long. Almost because I was just like, I had, you know, wasn't figuring anything out. Like, they, they try to tell, you know, they try to pin it on every person in the movie. Yeah. You know, they give you just a taste of any, like, incriminating, like, you know, action or, you know, it's something someone says or does, you know, to make you think it's everyone else. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the the payoff to that even kind of fell flat for me. I mean, uh, the 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 two guys, they it ended up coming out to be. Mm-hmm. Wasn't like, I don't know, I just didn't find it super interesting, Millsy. Yeah, you know? I mean, they are almost a MacGuffin, like, yeah. Because there's no build up to like who they are or why they're there. It's mm-hmm. really just like random events are happening for an hour and 40 minutes. And then in the last 10 minutes, it's like, well, we have to have some bad guys. So let's just yeah. say this is their motivation. It's not directly tied to, I mean, it's slightly directly tied to um, uh, Liam Neeson's character because basically. It's uh, two guys planned this who were in the military and they're like frustrated with like the American government and like uh, American security measures after 9-11 and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so they want to crash a plane and make it look like it was the fault of a TSA or of a uh, air air marshal who they could find stuff in his past that like they could justify like, Oh, maybe he was depressed and he had a grudge or something like that. So that it would like incite Americans to start realizing like, we're not as secure as we really are. And mm-hmm. like it very convoluted, especially to toss on you in the last 10 minutes. Of yeah. The movie. It's just like, just make it about the money. Cause like yeah. all that other stuff at that point, I was just like, Oh, Oh, please. But I think that kind of comes from just, like, the era in which the film was made. Mm -hmm. Like, where just, like, simple bad guy wants money is, like, not good enough anymore in a lot of uh, cases. Mm -hmm. And everything has to have, like, a kind of political agenda and, you know, again, post-9-11 stuff. Die Hard did it best where they made it, made you... They tried to make the cops think it was a political agenda when yeah. it was just about the money, and this is the opposite. Yeah, it's the exact opposite, <laughs> which which doesn't like work for me. Really, I mean, it's 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 you know, it's something you would put in a movie in, in twenty fourteen, but when you just think about the logic of it, mm-hmm. it's even like even like the two guys are almost like at odds about their plan. So yeah. I was I was very, and it's it's going at like you know, hundred miles a minute. While you're getting all this information, there's also like two fighter planes that keep saying they're going to shoot this plane down if it goes down, you know, any to eight thousand feet, and then it does, and they know and they nothing never gets do shot anything. down. Yeah, which I was just like, why do you even tell us they're going to do that if you know? Of yeah. course, they're not going to blow this mo- the plane out of the sky and then the credits roll, but it's like, <laughs> just don't tell me something. <laughs> yeah, I mean that'd be you know. Screaming from the mountaintops how good this movie was if that's how it ended. But 
No, instead they blow out the side of the plane and then have Liam Neeson have to pull the little girl in <laughs> through the hole yeah, in the wa- yeah. in the side of the plane. Yeah. While he like, you know, uh, slow motion change, in, you know, the he's like rising up in the cabin pressure or whatever. Or when catches it bottoms the gun out in midair. to catch the gun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I gotta have that, Bills. Which is ridiculous, but I do like that moment. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, uh, this is another case, I think, like Unknown, where I think it's a combination of you know, just the mood I was in because this is the trio we're doing and having low expectations based on a previous viewing and then kind of just letting myself enjoy it this time around. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it was just one of those instances where I was like, I know I need to stop thinking about this stuff, but it's, it was just quickly. I was just like, there's no reason not to land this plane right now. You know, they didn't like, they didn't, it wasn't compelling enough for them to keep it in the air for all this horrible stuff to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just far too convenient. Yeah, I mean, a big part of it is that for a, the majority of the movie, they're over the ocean. So, like, they couldn't land if they wanted to. Sure. But, um, yeah, and then by the time they are overland and they can do a landing, it's like mm-hmm. things have escalated too far. And right. then the jets come, even though they inevitably do nothing. But it just yeah. adds even more stress yeah. to the situation. But, uh. Yeah, from a plausibility standpoint, I feel like it's really not any worse than something like Die Hard with a Vengeance, which has a very convoluted villain scheme, which, again, would have to, like, so perfectly come together for everything to work. Yeah, I mean, there's, um, for sure, instances all over movie land of uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah. For sure. But this is, I don't know, I guess yeah, people's mi- mileage can vary on uh, what what is entertaining or not. Versus just like kind of like a bit of an eye roll. But this isn't like horrible by any means. I'm not even trashing it to that point, you know? Yeah. uh, What did you feel? Because this is one of the first movies I remember doing this a lot was the um, like the uh, the text conversations coming up on Mm. screen, Mm -hmm. which I think is helpful because a lot of the plot does rely on these text conversations and. Uh, I think they do it pretty well. I think so. I mean, the last thing I would want to do is like have to, you know, squint my eyes at this to his his own cell phone, you know, to see yeah. him reading it. Like it just makes so much more sense to do it. And one of my big pet peeves in movies and TV shows, which they largely still can't seem to get right, unless they use like a real operating system, oh, is please. just like fake ass looking text message screens on phones. Yeah. Right. There's just there's no reason. For people making these movies to like, from the ground up, make these like user interfaces. Yeah, which look completely bogus. And they look like horrible. They never <laughs> make sense. Like, dude, just use at this point, like, just use the iPhone. Yeah, one it. of the like, one of the worst I've ever seen, and it killed me because it went on for eight seasons. Was I was a big fan of Dexter when it was on, mm. and any time they showed someone's phone with a text message, it was just the entire screen was black mm-hmm. with just white letters in the center of the text <laughs> message. I'm like, no fucking text screen looks right, like that. Right. Yeah, it's just like, come on. Yeah. yeah. So, so like this kind of like interactive pop up stuff, I I don't usually mind. Yeah, I mean, it it, again, it was relevant to the plot of the movie. Like, it can annoy me sometimes in stuff like Zombieland, where just for, like, because we're, like, a funny, zany movie, we just have, like, all the, the rules to surviving in a zombie apocalypse pop up on screen when it's relevant. And, like, 
that I'm not necessarily 100% behind, but something like this, I thought it was done really well, actually. Mm-hmm. Even down to the fact that, like, as he was typing, every now and then they would throw in, like, au- like autocorrect coming up, or when the phone was damaged, they put, like, a crack across the image, like, that was mm-hmm. floating on the screen. Like, just little things like that I thought yeah. were kind of neat. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't mind any of that. No, it made sense. Like, it was mm-hmm. a... It was a good call. I think like the the text messaging went on maybe too long, <laughs> you know. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just like it's it feels like if a thing I could, you know, I could probably sit and have a good time doing like a mystery science theater kind of version <laughs> of nonstop. Yeah, you could you could definitely do that with it, whether you enjoy the movie or not. Yeah. Here's a question for you: uh, Have you ever flown on an international flight? No. Neither have I. Well, and so I'm, no, I've been to Aruba, but that was not a super long flight by any means. Okay. Like there's a lot of movies where you're seeing people in airplanes and typically if there's like a large portion of the movie that takes place on an airplane, they always set it like, "Oh, we're traveling from like country to country or whatever to you know, really have the bigger plane." Which I've never been on one. I've only been on like small little planes because mm-hmm. I've only flown like in the United States. Yeah. So, like, whenever I see a plane like this in a movie where there's, like, so much fucking space and every seat is enormous, regardless of what section of the plane you're in and the aisles are so huge, that's a weird... And that may exist, like, on the planes that you can take from, like... Where were they? Were they going to just, like, London in this movie? London, yep. Yeah. Maybe a U.S. to London flight is actually comparable to what you see in movies but it's a thing for me of like i've only been on planes where like i'm a tall guy and i feel like i'm scrunched into a fucking cubicle so it's like that's a weird thing that bothers me when i watch these movies because i'm like i in my experience planes like this don't exist right (laughs) and i understand it's you know it's probably just easier to film that way and i actually did read that uh they the set was built specifically taller to accommodate Liam Neeson because he's six four, so he wouldn't have to crouch oh, all the time nice. if it was like a realistic cabin size. Yeah, just this was also like not in an existing. It wasn't based on like an actual existing airplane or airline. So like, just like the shape of the seats and the divider between every single seat and like the little uh, reading light on a like a little bendy lamp. Like I I don't know if that should exist on any plane, but I've never seen that anywhere before. You know, I've like same thing. I've only ever been on planes that have like the single aisle up the middle. Mm-hmm. Maybe six seats wide, three and three tops. So you know, of course, this is probably I don't know this this one might have had like two, then an aisle, then three or four, and then an aisle, then like yeah, two I think more it was two where... on each side of the plane, and then three down the middle. Yeah, so. Pretty wide, but yeah, when you see like the business class or whatever the first class, and the people are like in these pod things, like I've never actually seen that with my own two eyes, so mm-hmm. I don't know what those look like either. You know, I've seen different like kind of versions of it in different TV and movies, but yeah. And I mean, I know there are like really extravagant airlines out there where you can get like a, it's basically like a fucking apartment to yourself on the plane with like chairs and a bed and TVs and everything. Like mm-hmm. I've seen. The, all the blog posts about like I saved up money and I took the most expensive airline flight that you can, right. but like just a typical plane that just anybody is going to take from like the U.S. to the U.K. Uh, I have no frame of reference, but you watch something like uh, Snakes on a Plane, 
that's a movie that takes place entirely on a plane. And that thing, I remember seeming like it was a fucking city inside of a tube. <laughs> right. But not a thing I even thought about while watching this of it being like a set or like a made up plane or anything, but mm-hmm. it all looked pretty good. It was all like, you know, they didn't try to make it like, oh, this is the most advanced plane ever created. Yeah. You know, or it wasn't the Nakatomi Towers of planes or anything. Just one of those things that I think, you know, as I'm sitting there, the, the entire movie takes place on this plane. So inevitably my mind is going to wander at some point to like, are there actually planes that have seats like this? <laughs> mm-hmm. Stuff like that. But yeah. Well, not important. When we take this thing on tour, Milzy, we'll just have to get ourselves on an international flight oh boy. and find out, you know? Sounds good. How long was that flight? We could probably watch three movies and then record a podcast on a plane from the U.S. to <laughs> yeah. London. Totally. Oh, man. I have to look into this. Let me write Set that Set that up. Most expensive <laughs> podcast recording ever. Like, uh, sorry, um, you guys You guys need to be quiet. You can't record a podcast right now. It is uh, <laughs> one o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry. Do you know who we are? <laughs> this is Triple Threat Theater. <laughs> Let me show you a Tumblr link. And then maybe you'll <laughs> check out our Instagram. Along. Yeah, thanks. We have close to 100 followers. Yes, please. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else to say about mm. nonstop before we move on? Um, nope. I think uh, add this to the list of many plane movies. The aforementioned Snakes on a Plane, <laughs> nonstop, Red Eye, with, Airplane. Uh, <laughs> airplane, yeah. yeah. So there are a lot of them. Air Force One. Hmm, makes me wonder, do we have a plane theme? For an <laughs> we do now. <laughs> All right. Uh, third and final film uh, coming out in 2015. We have Run All Night. I'm here asking for my son's life, Sean. I pulled the trigger. I killed Eddie. You want to send someone for me? Tell me when. I'll keep the door open. I'll put my gun on the table. Michael, he's a good kid. He's got a family. He don't deserve this. Michael was not going to talk if Danny hadn't shown up. I think I sat him there. I told him to stay put. He wouldn't listen. He was into some bad shit, Sean. Don't talk to me about my son. I'm going to do what I have to do to protect Michael. That means I got to talk to someone. Talk to someone? The cops. John Harding, the things I know. Things that mattered 20 years ago. What, you think the feds are parked outside listening to this conversation? Huh? Take a look out there. Nobody gives a shit about what you know anymore. Nobody gives a shit about you. You die tomorrow, you ride away alone in your bedroom until the stench gets so bad the neighbors got no choice but to call the cops. Wouldn't be any point having a funeral because no one would come. I'm the only one ever cared about you. And all of that ended an hour ago when you killed my son. I'm coming after your boy with everything I got. I won't let you take him, Sean. You got no choice. And when it's done, and it will be done, you and I are gonna meet back here at this restaurant at this same table that I used to share with my boy, and I'm gonna look you in the eyes just like you're looking me in the eyes right now. And I'm going to see how empty they are without your son in the world. Same thing I saw in my wife's eyes. Same thing you've seen in my eyes. 
And when I see that, then I'll let you die. Millsy. Yeah. Mobster and hitman Jimmy Conlon has one night to figure out where his loyalties lie. With his estranged son, Mike, whose life is in danger, or his longtime best friend, mob boss Sean McGuire, who wants Mike to pay for the death of his own son. Yes, indeed. Uh, So, yeah, this one has a pretty decent setup. Uh, Again, a little bit convenient, but for a change, Liam Neeson is not like a cop or some like right. badass super yeah. spy or something he is still a badass he's he's a badass but at least you know he's a drunk he's kind of washed up he's not like the best there is at what he does type of thing which... yeah he's shown in the beginning to be such kind of a drunk loser that when he does start kicking ass in the movie i was like mm, i don't know if i buy this based on the way they <sighs> yeah. introduced his character yeah i'll get into it because it's like they the first time you really see him do anything of note is when he's dressed up as santa for yeah. the santa and he's like it's like it's almost too much where it's like he's drunk, he's belligerent, he stops hitting on the mob boss's wife, he burns himself on the fireplace. So just like I think just like having him like pass out or something would have been enough here. Or I I was waiting for him to vomit because he was drunk, like yeah. when one of the like, kids or something. Yeah. I was like, what happens next? Does he get lit on fire and he jumps out the picture window? Okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but uh, you know, I get it. So yeah, he's basically, uh, he was essentially like a, a best friend of, when they were growing up, he was the best friend of Ed Harris's character who grows up to be like this big time mob boss in New York. And um, over the years, uh, Liam Neeson's character was like a hitman for him. Mm-hmm. And now it's like he's older and he's washed up, like you said. He's estranged from his son. And meanwhile, Ed Harris's son is like the hotshot asshole young guy who wants to be his dad, but just can't get it through his head to stop making boneheaded decisions. Right. Makes a boneheaded decision and murders a couple of people. And it just so happens that Liam Neeson's son, who works as a limo driver, is the guy who drove the people who are murdered by Ed Harris's son to that guy's house. Mm-hmm. So he witnesses it. And then uh, now it's basically like the two families are at odds. Right. Ed Harris's son goes to kill Liam Neeson's son, and uh, Liam Neeson kills Ed Harris's son, and now Ed Harris wants revenge. So there's there's plenty of convenience in this movie as well. Mm -hmm. One one particular point, which I I just wanted to ask you, Milsey. So you're a limo driver. Yep. You drop off these two randos. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, I would think you would know this too, where if you're sitting in your limo, you know, limo's not running, you're sitting there waiting for your client or whatever, and you kind of like see this murder happen like he does. First thing you do is start the engine and peel out? I'd say the last thing you do, Mills. (laughs) The last. Yeah. I definitely thought that. Yeah. Because I'll be honest, like, you know, the movie starring, that's, that's maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes into the movie. You know, somewhere in that first act bit, but yeah. I was, I was that was certainly for me was a through my hands and you're like, oh, what the fuck, you know? Because hmm. I'm just like, come on, you know, like you know, under zero circumstances do you ever do that? But I reeled it in. I was like, okay, okay. I was like, I get the plot going. I get it. That's what gets the ball rolling. You know, I, uh, could they have done something that made more sense? It's just, you know, 
as I'm getting turning into a, an old fart about movies, when there's just certain things that are just so convenient for convenience sake, you know, it it, it kind of bothers me. But again, well, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. It's just it's a, it's a thing that sticks with me. Sure. That aspect aside, I actually think that uh, that's a really interesting setup for a movie like this. Uh-huh. Basically taking, because I, I don't know, I thought the characterization of Ed Harris and uh, Liam Neeson's relationship was very good, even though they had just like a short time to show it. Sure. Where Liam Neeson is a complete fuck up and nobody respects him, but he was such a good friend and like a loyal associate of Ed Harris for all these years that no matter how much he fucks up, he's going to like try and take care of him like yeah. he you know, ruins the whole Santa Claus situation. And then instead of Ed Harris being like, get him the fuck out of here, he's like, take him upstairs and let him sleep it yeah. off and give him something to eat. <laughs> get him a sandwich. Yeah. And I think it's just, it goes to show like Ed Harris and Liam Neeson, both very good actors. Like they sold mm-hmm. that relationship and their characterizations really well in a yeah. short period of time. And I think a lot of times when it comes to like mob boss characters in movies, the instinct is to make them like over the top, just power hungry assholes who scream at everybody all the time. But I like the more like calm and collected Ed Harris kind of character where you mm-hmm. see him lash out once or twice, like when he stabs his son's friend repeatedly. Right. right. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just thought that the characterizations with the two of them were really good. And I thought it made for a cool setup. And then you add in the, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio character who's like a police officer who's also older at this point and he casually runs into Liam Neeson and like knows that he did all these terrible things but he can't prove it and Mm -hmm. it's like they have this history together where they're just kind of like fucking with each other and I, I got this feeling while I was watching it and I was a little surprised that I had this feeling like man this world feels like really oddly fleshed out to me Mm -hmm. and it makes it all like I felt there was really good justification for everything that was happening. Yeah, I I will agree completely. Just besides, like you know, there's bits of the convenience in this one. Um, I like agree completely. I I like Ed Harris as well, and you know, to have him playing off of Liam Neeson, I thought all those scenes were great. It's always good when it's like, you know, the two longtime friends and their sons went on different paths, and just like the the stirring of the stew that happens because of them. Mm-hmm. Like, I liked all that. It feels very lived in. Yeah, 100%. You know, I, I like all the characters. Even, like, um, Boyd Holbrook, who plays uh, Ed, Ed Harris's Harris son. son. I mean, maybe he is a good actor, because I hate him in this movie. You know, you're <laughs> supposed to. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he kind of, when he sets it off, because he, he, the people he killed come to his house for, like, that drug deal or whatever. Or, no, to get their money back. Yeah. Because he couldn't set up that drug deal. Like, that bit, like, that bit bothered me a little, because it was, like, when he's like, oh, here's a bag full of Monopoly, Monopoly. money. Where'd Ha-ha. you get that much fucking Monopoly money? That, it's like, <laughs> why, what was your plan? You these you knew these guys were coming. They wanted money. You're just going to, like, joke, you know. Here's a bag of fake play money. Ha-ha. Now you can leave? Like, you know that's not going to happen, so. Yeah. That's like the exact opposite of the Ed Harris Liam Neeson thing and how that relationship feels so natural and lived in where it's like they're trying to get across how much of an obnoxious fuck up the son is in one scene by having him like be completely high off his ass when these dangerous guys come 
like play this weirdly elaborate joke on them. Like, where do you get that much? It was a brief, <laughs> right. like a duffel bag full of Monopoly money. Right. right. Yeah. Like the like, how much did you spend to go find that much Monopoly money? You could have just gave the guy his money back. Yeah. Like yeah, all the just... subtlety that they gave to Ed Harris's character. Yes. They they yeah. took they took the opposite of that and they put it into right. his son, which was yeah. maybe a little too over the top. Probably because it, it's like the one two punch of that bit with the money and then the you know uh, Liam Neeson's son turning the car on and taking off. Those two bits were so close. That I was just like, oh come on, guys, but. It like evened out for me. I did end up you know, like enjoying the movie quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Liam Neeson's—he plays that like old, like hard-boiled, you know, reformed killer. What are they? What is his? He's got a good nickname too. Is like Jimmy the Grave Digger or something? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which like gave me a smile because I was like, oh, that's like a good like old old hitman name yeah man just all of that stuff like as weird as it sounds because this isn't like the most amazing movie ever made or anything like that but as i was watching it especially the scenes with like vincent d'onofrio and ed harris i was thinking to myself like gosh i would kind of like to see a prequel to this with like different Mm -hmm. actors playing them when they were young like the old days of like the mob and the neighborhood with vincent d'onofrio as the cop trying to like catch them and because it just did have that, like, it, it it felt like this was, like, a sequel to something. Like, it, it, oh, yeah. it was a pre-existing universe or something. Right. It really had that feeling, and I, I liked that For about sure. it. Yeah, even though, like you already said, like, the the bits of, like, um, Ed Harris, something you don't normally see with, like, the mob boss things. But, you know, part of the whole problem is he doesn't, he's, like, out of the game at this point. He's been so legitimate for so long he doesn't need Liam Neeson anymore. He doesn't need the son setting up like these big drug deals. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't want any part of it. And, that was, and like, he's cool obviously still got like the influence and everything. Oh, like he's got the cops on the payroll, but he's like, I don't need to be taking risks with this big crazy drug right. deal. And he's like not a fan of the whole drug thing because he was involved with heroin back when that was like right. really popular earlier on in his career. And uh, he saw like the fallout of that with. Totally. Like people you know? he knew and liked getting just strung out on heroin and fucking yeah. up their lives. So I liked all that. I yeah. Really did. Same here. Um, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the introduction of Common as a hitman? Like more than halfway through the movie? <laughs> right. Right. I think it's all right. Like I think it makes sense at that point that he would call in somebody who's like a specialist. He doesn't really feel like he fits in the movie. He mm. feels a little too like because everything feels old school and like yeah. oh I have my old friend who was like a hitman for me and and this and that. But then he's like I got the laser sight that I never turn off on my gun and I've got like the glowing green <laughs> night vision one yeah. eye piece thing and yeah that's just like a made up eyepiece thing yeah he doesn't Um, really feel like he belongs um i like the idea of them sending like a specialist after them but i think it could have been a little less yeah hokey that's kind of kind of basically i feel the same that's what i was kind of getting at i feel like that's like roles for common in action movies are always like some emotionalist killer you know Mm -hmm. Um, so it's just more of that it's you know shout out to the wire but this, he feels like a poor man's like brother moves on, which I don't know if you've seen The Wire, Millsy, but I haven't. Um, you need to fix watching that. Liam Neeson movies. <laughs> he did fix that A, but B, he just feels like 
like this certain great character from the wire who's like trying to be that and it doesn't really fit it's like you said if they they're bringing in like you know extra muscle it just felt weird to bring in the you know this emotionalist kill high tech killer yeah. that and they, and it, it, it factors into the the climax which the climax is good but it's like i almost wish it wasn't this guy that doesn't have an emotional connection to anything Mm-hmm. You know, it's just the Terminator at this point. Yeah, if it was like some other guy from their past or something like that, like that would have been cool. Or even if it I was mean, still just Ed Harris, you know, or something. Yeah. Anything other than. I did know. dig the fact that when it came down to it, Ed Harris was never like the guy that got things done. He was the guy that paid to get things done. So I like the fact that it wasn't really a, a standoff at the end as much as just um, Liam Neeson, like. You know, chasing him down and putting a couple bullets in mm. him. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's good I point. dug that. Um, but then, like, I I liked uh, like the the mobster whose wife Liam Neeson was hitting on in the Santa scene early on. He's one of the random goons that gets sent after him, and they have a fight scene in the uh, the, in bathroom, the bathroom, bathroom in the subway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're throwing barbs back and forth because they've known each other for so long and don't really like one another. Like, I feel like a little more of that instead of the common character yeah for sure like they could have just had more of that than introducing common for sure i agree completely but uh all that being said i did enjoy this one it's good mm -hmm. action it looks great too it's got that kind of like grizzled kind of dark look and it's just nighttime in new york city everything feels kind of wet all the time (laughs) yeah yeah it's just wet kind of loud you know there's Mm -hmm. always a neon light somewhere and you get like those like kind of small town, like a little more run down areas like where Liam Neeson lives. And then mm-hmm. you get like the, you know, the Irish bar with the the back room where the mobster runs everything out of. And just all mm-hmm. these kind of comfortable feeling movie trope things. And yeah. then like the car chase scene in the more like populous part of New York City, like the actual city that never sleeps part where there's just everybody outside and. They mm-hmm. smashed the car into the side of that, uh, yeah, that was like good. storefront and everything. I mean, they had like an, you know, and Liam Neeson's like driving like an 80s Camaro, which you yeah, never see. Yeah, chasing a fucking cop car. Yeah. And you never see those Camaros. I thought that was great. Yeah. No, that was all good. I was like, I was like, I dig that a lot. It, it felt like, I was like, that is the kind of car he would have too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, was cool when he was still a hitman, was like the a cool car he could have and he just held on to it. Yeah, and now he's chasing like corrupt cops. And but then- I do feel like like one of the biggest flaws for me is just how quickly he goes from being like a laughable nobody to I'm now the scariest person you've ever met. Yeah, because he is just like he comes in with his tail between his legs to ask Ed Harris's mm-hmm. son for money, and then he gets roped into doing the Santa Claus thing, and he's just like drunk and miserable. Right, right. and then. The second the shit goes down, like, I think the first real action beat with him is the chase scene in the car. And it's just like, holy shit, this guy's an amazing driver. Like, does mm-hmm. is he is he not still half drunk from the night before? Or? <laughs> right. But right. Yeah, they could, I it can let that go. It could have used me too. It could have used the scene of him, like the transitioning from like getting his act together for his son. Yeah. Which it doesn't have that. But yeah, that being said, it's all. But speaking of the son. uh one of the uh, modern generic white guy actors who like desperately want to be action stars, but just can't seem to pull it off. Joel Kinnaman. Mm-hmm. 
as uh, Liam Neeson's son. Not the biggest fan of him. He's all right. He doesn't have to be like anything too spectacular. Yeah. I don't mind him. I mean, yeah. When you think about the generic action guys in the current like crop. Him, Sam Worthington, and I feel like there's one more I'm forgetting. Uh, Who's the guy who played Boomerang in, uh, oh, yeah. in Suicide Squad? What's his name? I feel I like he's another one of these guys. Yeah. There's there's a there's a there's a few of them. Yeah, he was was he the one that was in that one Terminator movie as Kyle Reese? Uh Kyle Reese in Terminator Salvation was um No, I'm thinking uh, the other one. Was Chekhov from the new Star Trek movies. <laughs> uh who died a couple years no, ago. No, no, I'm thinking of the other the one with um Daenerys from you know, from uh, Yeah. Uh, so Genesis, yeah. Who was Kyle Reese in that one? Uh, that might have been him. I can't think remember so. his fucking name. Uh, Jai Courtney. Jai Courtney. Yes. Yeah. Jai Courtney, Sam Worthington, and Joel Kinnaman. I feel like those three fucking mm-hmm. guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> someday. 20, 30 years from now, there will be like a reboot of the Expendables and it'll just be the three yeah. of them. Yeah. Yeah. Jai Courtney was John McClane's son in that horrible Die Hard movie. Right. Joel Kinnaman was Robocop in that fucking oh, heinous Robocop remake. Was he? Yeah. Oh, man. And he's also in Suicide Squad. He's like the yeah. cop that goes along with them. And I mean, Sam Worthington. Not that I think he's like the best actor in the world. I like him just fine in Avatar, and I obviously love Avatar. But like he's made some hot garbage since then, yeah. like the Clash of the Titans movies, and uh, oh yeah, like Man on a Ledge, and pretty much everything else he's done aside from Avatar. I just feel like has been pretty bad. I made a generic white guy's note because we'll have to. Oh God, we'll have to get a traffic Dex, dog. Don't make me rewatch RoboCop, <laughs> oh, please. Milzy, please Milzy, they... don't make me watch that shit again. Milzy, they gave him a human hand. Why? <sighs> I fell Milzy, asleep why? in the middle of that movie in the theater, and oh. then as the credits were rolling at the end, I had the Wikipedia page open reading what I had missed. I fucking so, hate it. And that was movie. the only time you've seen it? Yes. Don't oh, make me Milzy, watch it's it coming. Again. Don't Milzy's make me a... do it, Dex. Milzy, he's got a bare human hand in that movie. Oh, why? I don't know, and I don't care. Oh well. <laughs> um, but yeah, just to make just to think that because of me, you're gonna have to be looking up like behind the scene facts about the RoboCop remake. I'm gonna be Sounds... sick. That, I'm gonna be sick that week. You, we'll have a guest host on to cover for me. <laughs> but yeah, Megan, uh, what do you think about RoboCop? And no, I would. That would be good Genesis? radio. I would listen to that. Oh, I love it. <clears throat> But yeah, so Joel Kinnaman, he's all right in this, but they don't ask a lot of him. Uh, we already talked about Boyd Holbrook. He plays Ed Harris's son. He's just kind of like the over-the-top jerky mm-hmm. son. You know, he was in Logan. I feel like yep. he was kind of underused as a character in that movie. And uh, he, then he was more recently Ooh. in The Predator, which is another piece of trash I hope to never see again. Horrible, horrible movie. Yeah. So yeah, not a lot of love for him either. I mean, no, we could. We, I, I'd have to look up what else he's done, but he could probably fit into that like generic white guy. Uh, Milzy, add it to the list. Too. Add it to the list after The Wire. You can then watch Narcos, 
on Netflix, mm-hmm. which is a great show that Boy Holbrook is on, mm. and he's great on it. I'll take it. It's also on that good one. for uh, uh, our boy, the Mandalorian. Anyways, watch Narcos. <laughs> Duly noted. Uh, I'll add it to the list of 732 other shows <laughs> that people have recommended, and I want to get yeah. around to watching that you refuse to watch. I got too much time watching Liam Neeson movies, man. <laughs> <clears throat> all, all 17 of the prior <laughs> Liam Neeson movies released in the last 10 years. Yeah, man. Can't all right, all right. Yeah, buddy. But uh, yeah, I, I one other thing I will say, like I, I generally really like Run All Night. Um, this does have a little bit of a feeling of a, of a thing that I like to complain about with action movies when you have an entire film that has the same look and feel and like sometimes takes place in the same location for mm-hmm. the entire film. And then it's almost like the writer was like, well, I don't know how to end this. And then like takes it to a completely different location and the entire vibe of the film changes. Mm. Yep. Uh, the classic examples I always give are the aforementioned die hard with a vengeance entire thing takes place in New York city. And then all of a sudden the ending jumps to like, Days later uh, in Canada, <laughs> a or, truck stop in Canada. Yeah, or um, Con Air, where the entire thing is on and about a plane, and then the final action scene is speeding down the streets of Las Vegas on a fire engine. Damn, Con Air. We're gonna. We might have a couple episodes of plane <laughs> movies here, or even um, uh, Speed. Like the entire thing's on a bus, and then the very end is like, oh, we go down and we have a fight on top of a subway train, like. <laughs> That always bugs me in movies because it just feels like, can't we keep it thematic? And this one, like, the entire thing takes place in New York City, and then the final action scene takes place in the woods outside of a cabin mm-hmm. somewhere. So it's like if if nonstop, like, they got off the plane and they had, like, one final fight on top of a fire truck or something? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, like you already mentioned, it's, like, the character of Common who, like, it just doesn't feel like... So, like, Common his character, he was hired by Ed Harris to kill Liam Neeson and he like fails and then disappears from the movie and then just suddenly shows up at the end. And it's like, I'm not invested in him. Mm -hmm. And his only grudge against Liam Neeson is that he burned his face earlier when they fought. Like it just, I don't know. And and they had the opportunity to kill him dead to rights and they didn't. Yeah. Like I almost feel like it would have been better if, some of uh, like the goons from the old days uh, were guarding Ed Harris and there was like an action scene there. And then the movie like ended with Liam Neeson, like putting a bullet in Ed Harris or something oh. instead of mm-hmm. killing Ed Harris, then going to the lake and thinking everything's okay. And then, Oh yeah. Remember that assassin who was in the movie earlier? He's back. Right. Yeah. But I, I must agree. For the most part, I like this movie a yeah. fair amount. There's, there's some nitpickage that can go on. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, random uh, appearance of Nick Nolte for one scene. Oh, yeah. Wasn't that random as all hell? Yeah, I read that apparently he had a lot more scenes, but they were cut from the movie. So mm. they just kept one random scene with him in there. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough. Mm. Yeah. Anything else uh, for Run All Night? I feel like we've covered it. All right. Uh, normally we'd jump right into posters, but I have a little something else I want to do here real quick oh, before we move yes, on. yes, please. So I've, I was able to name off all those Liam Neeson movies earlier to hear whether you'd seen them or not, because I have them all written down here. Mm-hmm. 
and I did this specifically because when I was looking up information about the three that we watched, I noticed a lot of similarities, and I was like, hmm, I wonder how all ten of these taken post-taken movies line up here. Okay. The thing that I thought was really funny is Unknown came out February 18th, 2011. Nonstop came out February 28th, 2014. <laughs> and Run All Night came out March 13th, 2015. And I was like, is this part of the reason that these movies are generally successful because they don't come out in the summer when there's a lot of competition? They come out early in the year when there's like nothing else to see? Yes. So let me give you the rundown here. Please. Taken, American release, January 30th. Ooh. Unknown, February 18th. The Gray, January 27th. Nonstop, February 28th. Taken 3, January 9th. Run All Night, March 13th. The Commuter, January 12th. Co- uh, Cold Pursuit, February 8th. That's like all January, wow. February, March. There's only two that broke that. Uh, Taken 2 came out October 5th, 2012. And Walk Among the Tombstones came out September 19th, 2014. Huh. And going along with that, I was looking up some other information about these movies. So uh, Taken cost $25 million to make approximately. And uh, the worldwide box office for like rando low-budget action movie with a non-action star made $226.8 million. Mm. Not mm-hmm. bad. Oh, that's a, that's a win all day. And so that kicked things off. Uh, Unknown cost $40 million, made 131.6. So again, quite good, like more than triple uh, mm-hmm. the budget earned back. Uh, the Gray, 25 mil to make, 77.3 uh, take. So not the best. Still three times, though. So I, th- yeah, I, fair. You know, I get it's, it's one of those things you wonder, like, are they looking at percentages or actual... F- you know, flat out dollars in the end. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think any any movie, you're going to say that's a win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I, I didn't think about it that way, but that is three times the budget back. Mm-hmm. Uh, the highest grossing of all of these films is Taken 2. Oh, I was going to say, probably. surely, just coming off of how popular the first Taken was. Cost $45 million to make, so $20 million more than the first one. Raked in 376.1. Dude, people loved Taken, man. Yeah, for a profit of 331.1 million. Mm. Uh, nonstop cost 50 and made 222.8. Damn, really? Yep. Wow. Uh, Walk Among the Tombstones only cost 28 mil, only made 62.1. So that is the lowest gross mm-hmm. uh, for any of these movies, unfortunately. Which, again, I just don't know why people are sleeping on Walk Among the Tombstones. It's less of an action film and more of like a mystery thriller. But mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a better quality movie than most of the other ones on this list. The name's too long. That's what does it, <laughs> That's what does it for people. I'm telling you. Oh well. Taken three forty eight million cost three hundred twenty six point four million. Ooh. So people were still drinking the Taken yeah. 3 Kool-Aid. And they still could make all three of them for short money, too. Yeah, for sure. Which doesn't happen a lot when you think of sequels. Mm-hmm. Uh, Run All Night uh, cost $60 million, which ties Cold Pursuit as the biggest budget for any of these movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Run All Night only made 71.7, Ooh. so it only grossed 117 
So that is the least amount of money earned by one of these films. And again, I feel like it's one of the better ones, which is just like a weird coincidence that it didn't do that well. That could be like Taken Fatigue showing on that one. Yeah, maybe. Uh, But then the very next one, I mean, this was three years later, but uh, when the next Liam Neeson action movie finally came out, The Commuter, in January 2018, cost 40 mil, made 119.9, so basically tripled wow. its budget back again. And so, I mean, they'll let him make these forever mills. I know. I, it certainly seems like that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, Cold Pursuit, most recent one released, February 2019, uh, tied for the highest budget, 60 mil, and only made 76.3, so mm. also didn't do that well. Interesting. But... uh. Yeah, I just thought that that, uh, that was kind of interesting, that, the comparison like between legit, some of those. That's fascinating, really. Yeah. With the, you know, it's it's time just right release dates, and they're, they are made for the exact right amount of money, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And it really makes you wonder, like, so all those movies, for the most part, came out early in the year, where, again, there's not a lot of competition. Taken 2 comes out in October, performs really well, but that's probably less the time of year and more just the fact that it was a sequel to a very popular movie. And then the next and only other one that came out later in the year was Walk Among the Tombstones, which did pretty poorly. And that makes me wonder if they were then like, all right, well, let's stick with the beginning of the year when we know we can make money. Because then the next four all came out between January and March. Yeah, that could easily I could see that easily being the directors or even like his agent or something like, dude, you only, you know, (laughs) make sure your whatever movies you do come out in the winter. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Mm, very. I like good job, Mills. <laughs> Investigative reporter Ryan Miller. <laughs> yes. Uh call my uh, secretary and set up an appointment. I'll figure <laughs> out when movies were released for you. Very good. Maybe a thing in addition to that, maybe a thing we can do is every episode I'll just I'll quickly rattle off what I wrote down for notes for more trifectas. Oh gosh. I feel that. like uh that comes up at least once every episode. <laughs> yeah. Where you're like, ooh, let me take oh. a note of that. So this sticky note has House of Wax, Dark Man, Planes slash Con Air, gen- generic white guys. Generic white guys has to happen as long as I don't have to watch Robocop. <laughs> ooh, Bill. So He's generic in a lot of movies. It doesn't have to be that one. <laughs> well, Bills, you haven't actually seen it. I, I did see it, most of it. I paid. I, I paid money to go see it. Actually, that, that was probably during the it. movie pass era, so I didn't really pay, but... Oh, man. You're not helping your case with that one. Oh, God. Have you seen it? Yeah. You want to rewatch it? No. Well, let's not do it then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's all about the content, Milzy. You know, it's all about the experience together. Yeah. Milzy, you got a human hand. Mm. No glove or anything, just... There's an armored, man. an armored police robot with a human hand. Yeah, I know. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I didn't. We'll we'll see how uh, how I'm feeling when the time uh, comes. I've never turned down a trifecta you've come up with yet, so you're uh, you're playing true. with fire Did right I? now. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, yeah, that that's like a bridge we haven't had to cross. Like, can we turn down each other's trifecta? Well, we always run them by each other, so I would think yes, but not that there's much of anything I would turn down, but I think we just found one of my thresholds, Mm, and that's shitty RoboCop remix. (laughs) 
if only there was a third one out, then it would that'd be an easy sell. Another Robocop remake? Yeah, so I could at least be like Robocop. I'm personally glad there aren't more than one remake out. I'll, I'll circle back to that, Mills. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. I'm going to text Megan like, you need to. St- I need you to go and steal this piece of paper and flush it down the toilet so Dax doesn't remember this. <laughs> I put it in a lockbox. Yeah. Like, what's in this safe? A single piece of paper. <laughs> oh, you can retrieve it upon my death. <laughs> Give this to Millsy in my will. <laughs> Uh, I like that there's a world in which I'm going to outlive you. <laughs> hey, man. You never know, Mills. <laughs> Unless you get is run it... down in the street by Liam Neeson in a muscle car. <laughs> right, right. Uh, speaking of, is it poster time? It's poster time. Oh, ready to rock. Uh, so, unsurprisingly, this genre of film from this era of cinema isn't the most inspired <laughs> No. So there's not a lot to work with here. A lot of Liam Neeson, like, standing and scowling, sometimes holding a gun. Uh, these three always holding a gun. Yeah. Something else funny I read about this one is that uh, the poster here is basically a, like, you know, mid-thigh up of Liam Neeson standing sideways looking at the viewer. And mm-hmm. he's holding a gun. Not once in the film does he hold a pistol. Oh. Yeah, that makes sense. But he's holding it on the poster. <laughs> well, I'm going to say his face is heavily photoshopped, and that hand and gun could be as well. Yeah, I mean, just I think you can take it for granted that most movie posters these days, where it's just like a lot of photos are photoshopped. Yeah. But for sure, he looks like he's had some airbrushing done. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's basically him standing there, and then there's like a strip across the center with uh, the two female leads and like a... A car? Oh, it's the car going off the bridge from when yeah. he goes into a coma. There's some some notes from his book he carries around. Mm, yes. Berlin, you know, like I guess there. This is just like a art director's like, all right, here's what you gotta have on this poster. Make sure it's uh mostly gray. Now get to work. <laughs> Takes place in Germany, so it has to be drab. <laughs> right. And uh the tagline Take Back Your Life, which It does apply, but it's just generic enough to be like, why bother? Right, right. What am I getting excited about with this poster? Not much. Yeah. Based on this poster, you know that, well, you would think you know that Liam Neeson holds a gun, but that's not even true. Yeah. You know that there's a couple of blonde women and Mm -hmm. a car dives off of something. Yeah. Not super thrilling. No. I mean, this, this just, you got emotionless January Jones since... The first movie I think I've seen her in since X-Men First Class. Some would say that January Jones is always emotionless. Well. And that's why she's not a great actress. But I mean. I mean, did you see X-Men First Class? I did. (laughs) I did. Indeed. Never seen Mad Men, so I can't speak on that behalf. Yeah. Yeah, pretty drab. Drab Mm -hmm. overall look, feeling, emotion. Yeah. Now... Compared to that, nonstop at least has some action happening. Mm-hmm. It still has the kind of crappy gray color scheme, yeah. but I mean, the movie does play, take place inside of an airplane. What do you want? Yeah. I mean, 
I feel like anyone anyone making this movie or involved in this movie, this is what ten out of ten people are gonna come back with as a poster idea. Mm-hmm. The like, only thing I can say is like since I looked up the stats, like the release dates and the budgets for all of those other movies mm-hmm. that we didn't review, I have recently perused the posters for all of them. And mm-hmm. the vast majority of the posters for these Liam Neeson movies are just him, like the unknown poster, standing in the center, holding a gun and like turning to look at you. Mm-hmm. And so at least this poster is something different from those, which I'd like to give it props for. In and of itself, like not taking those other ones into account, it's not amazing, but. I got you. I could back you up on that. I don't know. Liam Neeson kind of seemingly diving backwards, shooting a gun the entire image is almost turned 90 degrees yeah Yeah, i like that old dutch angle action we're getting here Mm -hmm. the hijacking was just the beginning oh i didn't even see the tagline all the way down there (laughs) a little too much like photoshoppy blur shit going Mm -hmm. on for my taste but uh, for sure i don't know at least it's not just the lead actor staring at you yeah at least he's not just like sitting on his plane in his plane seat you know Mm-hmm. Like looking at the camera. Yeah, it would have been just as easy for this to be the same exact poster as Unknown, except with um that woman from Downton Abbey on one side and Julianne Moore on the yeah. other. Total, totally. But and there's like in the, the strip across the middle is the plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah. nothing nothing that special. No, sir. Gosh. The run all night poster by comparison. I love how colorful it is. Oh, it's like, thank God. Yeah. I mean, it is just Liam Neeson standing there holding a gun, staring at you, and then some of the other characters similarly standing there and staring at you. But Mm. it's like the whole thing is superimposed over uh, like a bird's eye view nighttime shot of New York City streets with all the lights and Mm -hmm. everything is this like beautiful blue color. Yeah. And then the... The title is like bright yellow and white on top mm-hmm. of everything. It really pops out. It really does. I love that it's a fade through the characters to see even more of the city. Mm-hmm. I really like that. I mean, it looks like the movie. The the like the colors of the poster match the actual movie. Yeah. And it's just another indicator for me that like the ending really of the movie feels like it doesn't belong because it doesn't match the look of this poster at all. It goes from like neon lit city to like a foggy woods. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. I can't let that go. <laughs> no, you can't. No sin goes unpunished again, relevant, but mm-hmm. not like memorable or eye grabbing or interesting yeah, in the least to put on a poster. It doesn't really tell you much, but yeah, I mean, this is the clear winner for me. Uh, Yeah. I mean, just, like I think the nonstop poster is like more interesting image, but mm-hmm. gosh, the the blues and like the contrast of the yellow and the white is just a very pleasing image to look at for Run All Night. Yeah, it's actually probably too bad because I think nonstop the movie, like the interior of that plane, is like like those like kind of like a funky blue color, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like those blue lights. Yeah, I mean, the majority of the movie takes place like it's like a red eye flight. So it's like overnight. So it's very dark and everything's lit by like the, you know, the little lights inside the plane and everything. Mm-hmm. And of course, like the scene where the action takes place is like during the morning as the plane's about to land and they chose to 
show that on the posters. So it's like this kind of, you know, foggy, grayed out, dawn light coming through the windows. But if they just like put some of that color, that nighttime color back in this poster, it would be a lot better. Yeah, I agree. But all right, break it down for the people, Mills. Hmm. I'm going to give a. I'm I'm gonna give a strong Liam Neeson talking to over the phone Taken style <laughs> to run all night. I'll give that about a, a four threats from Liam oh. Neeson over the phone. <laughs> I'm gonna give nonstop. Oh God! I'm gonna give nonstop two threatening words from Liam Neeson oh. over the phone, mm-hmm. and then I'm I'm gonna give like one. Just like, you know, I'm 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 coming for you. <laughs> for not not that's all you deserve. Yeah, like I'll I'll get around to killing you maybe. Man, Millsy, these ratings just get better and better. <laughs> I do what I can, which isn't much. Well played, friend. <sighs> all right, uh, bye, Borrow Burn. Mm. Did you did you know how you were playing now? You know, Coming as in. I as I watched these movies, if you couldn't tell, um, I found myself really enjoying all of them this time around, and I have my nitpicks with all of them. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I'll go first, and I'll say that I'm going to buy Run All Night because mm. I feel like the common and the uh, ending factor isn't my favorite thing, but I th- I feel like there's more to like about Run All Night than the other two just again i mean all that talk we did about like that kind of lived in feel of the world and the relationship between ed harris's character and liam neeson's character and liam neeson isn't just like your generic you know cop slash secret agent in this movie it just i don't know there it's there's it's more interesting to me yes i wish the ending were a little bit better but all Mm -hmm. told i like this one the most i think next up this one's a little more of a toss up because I do like the th- like the thrills of the mystery in Unknown, but that movie feels awful preposterous. But then again, so does Nonstop. Like Nonstop yeah, is just that, that's a tough angle to play when those are the two you're working with. I know, but just uh, the whole the whole I like the simplest premise of. I have gone into a coma, lost my memory, and the only thing I remember is, like, my cover story for a job I'm on and not, like, the rest of my life is a thing that really Mm. gives me trouble. I think just because it feels like, like, if if I turn my brain off, there's just, like, more going on in nonstop, and I think the ending of that movie is a little more exciting with the plane going down and everything. I think I'm going to borrow nonstop and burn unknown. Interesting. They're honestly all pretty much on the same level for me, but uh, I don't know. That's mm-hmm. going to be my breakdown. The The most important thing to take away from this is that Run All Night is the clear winner for me. Gotcha. I'll cut to the chase and concur with Run All Night. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is my buy. I would actually say that, that Run All Night is far superior to the other two, I would think. Got my nitpicks, got my issues, but... I don't I don't find the other two on par with Run All Night just in general overall feeling, story, acting. Yeah. Premise, I think story everything. is the big th- the biggest thing with Run yeah. All Night is that it it just it has the best premise 
and like yeah. they're all pretty well directed and have decent action and stuff. But um, a, a recent thing I heard about it was like a a takeaway from like noir films and books and everything was, um, like a good noir story could be like any any person is one bad car ride away from their life changing. Mm-hmm. And I like that idea. And Run All Night fits that to a T. Oh yeah. So definitely you know, that that just kind of that overall kind of vibe does it for me. So easy winner for me was Run All Night. I enjoyed, it was the last one I watched, and I did have a good time, minus a couple things that I rolled my eyes at. But sure, I would say in the toss up coming into this episode and still. At the end, it still makes sense to me that I would borrow Unknown and burn nonstop. I don't think, you know, this is certainly isn't throw into the sun, but hmm. I just, I actually somehow find nonstop more preposterous. Yeah, they're both really preposterous. They, they, they both are. So I guess it's like, how preposterous are you feeling at the time? How much can you, you know, work with and like how compelling is something? So. I just, you know, the the bits on the, not even the movie being on a plane in its entirety is a problem for me at all, but mm-hmm. just kind of like what happened throughout wasn't just the most compelling stuff for me, which I feel there was more, there was more to enjoy in Unknown for me. Yeah. I wonder if for me, nonstop, it wasn't like the the ticking clock of like, we only have so long and every 20 minutes someone's going to die like helps keep the plot moving for me a little more. Yeah, it certainly got that. I think maybe in the end just the payoff didn't work for me. I didn't I just did not care for those two bozos that Yeah. You know, they were like, like the least interesting picks. I felt like it is funny how comparable Unknown and Nonstop are if you really stop and think about it because like both of those movies again, unlike Run All Night, uh, like the reason for anything to be happening, it feels so unimportant because you don't find out what it is until the very end. Mm-hmm. And like the villains are so vague. And uh, whereas Run All Night has like, you know where everybody stands the entire time. And it's just like watching people get into and out of situations. And yep. Yeah. I think Run All Night is just the best movie, hands down. Yeah. I would, I would say, I would recommend people to watch it. I think there's a, it is, in fact, a good time. I concur. Well, there we go, Mills. A little bit of an agreeing. No, not so much. <laughs> go team. Team Triple Threat Theater. Oh. T4. Get, oh. Let's get some t-shirts made. <laughs> All right. Uh, shall we pick our theme for next episode? We shall. Mills, how many episodes we got, baby? Good golly, we've got 225. Oof. This just just keeps going up, Mills. Uh, don't I know it? All right, two twenty-five. Here we go. Roll them dice, Mills. One twenty-two. One twenty-two. <laughs> All right. Oh boy! Now for something different. <laughs> One twenty-two is. <laughs> should I give the full title, or should I give the part uh, in the parentheses? Is that too obvious? Yeah. No, let's do it. All right. If you if you can actually say that. Oh, I yeah, I I'm the one who came up with it. I can say okay. it. All right. Hit it. 122 is called Best Buds, aka Frethu Prillard. 
I think that probably gives it away, but I don't know. It's oh, fun. Hey. We're we're just having fun here. Yeah, we're just having. Fun. We're having it's a good, good time. time. Well, people complain that we, you know, make it too hard. Well, here, here's a here's a softball for you. Wow. Uh, yeah, this is <laughs> this is an interesting cup. Uh, oh. All right, party time. <laughs> wow. Yeah, this is gonna be interesting. I've seen one of these. So technically. have I. I. Maybe I've seen half of one of these. Not sure I've seen the entire thing. One of these movies I have seen twice, and I have not oh. seen the other two. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, this is how we do it, Mills. Don't I know? I don't know. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> until next time. For Triple Threat Theater, I'm Joe Daxberger. For Team Triple Threat Theater, I'm Ryan Miller. Ooh, tell them. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, 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 happy.